With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. I'm flying solo for today's podcast, which will have two parts. In part 1, I will give you my thoughts on the 3-1 victory over Frosinone to open the season. There's plenty to talk about there from Cayusta's surprise debut and difficult debut to say the least, to Garcia's tactics as they compare to Spalletti's, to a review of all the goals. And in part 2, I will take a look at what happened elsewhere in the league and touch on some early indications about the Scudetto race after the opening round of Serie A. So let's begin with the match against Frosinone on Saturday. As I'm sure you're already aware, Napoli won 3-1 on goals from Matteo Politano and a brace from Victor Osimen. Abdu Harawi scored the lone Frosinone goal from the penalty spot. The player who conceded that penalty kick was Jens Cayuste, so let's start with him because he obviously did not have a great debut. To be honest, I don't think it was as bad as it felt in real time. For the most part, I think he was just a little bit overzealous trying to make a good impression in his first match. He conceded the penalty kick five minutes into the match, but if you watch the slow motion replay, it looks like he made contact with the ball first, before catching Jaime Baez on the follow-through. Now, I don't exactly recall how the rule works, though I believe it's still a foul regardless, but it happens. The worst part was that he put his hand up as if to say, my bad, just don't caution me, so I'm not surprised the penalty was given. 
It's a good thing he wasn't cautioned because midway through the first half, he picked up a yellow card for what was a pretty reckless lunging tackle on Francesco Gelli. Garcia confirmed after the match that that was the reason why he replaced Cayusta with Nguisa at the break. It was just too risky to leave him in on a yellow card. That was definitely the right thing to do there. Again, that overzealousness easily could have gotten him sent off. If you're wondering why Anguisa himself didn't start the match, it was because he had just recovered from a muscular injury. He had only completed a few of the group training sessions before the match, but I fully expect Anguisa to be back in the starting 11 for the Sassuolo match. Cayusta was also the player that was offside on Raspadori's goal, which was ruled out by the VAR, but again, I don't blame him too much for this one. Players are caught offside all the time. It just so happens that we scored a goal a few passes later. By the way, in case you were a little bit confused by the VAR review, the graphic was displayed as if the VAR camera was on the opposite side of the pitch as the broadcast camera. So on the image that was shown... The Frosinone goal would have been on the left side of the screen and Cayusta would have been running back towards his own goal to receive the pass on the right side of the screen, whereas on the broadcast camera, we were attacking from left to right. Even though Cayusta's touch was off, I thought he still demonstrated that he has the qualities to be a solid backup, just in terms of his read of the game, his movement, and his physicality, which we know is something that's very important to Garcia. To me, a lot of these mistakes can be attributed to his timing being off, which is completely understandable for a player joining a new team in a new league. The real question is why did Garcia play him in the first place? Surely Garcia has to take part of the blame. In my predicted starting 11, I had Raspadori playing on the right side of the midfield and Lozano on the left wing because those players had been tested in those positions in the preseason. Also, I figured that would be a safer option for the first game of the season in a hostile environment. Another safe option, perhaps the more obvious one, would have been to play Alif Elmas in the midfield. Upon further reflection though, I can also understand why Garcia did it. The logic was probably the same as Chris Kaiser's logic for starting Natan from our last episode. It was a calculated risk against a very poor Frosinone side, a team who we could still beat even if we made a few costly errors. I'm fairly confident that if we had played against a stronger side to open the season, we would have seen someone like Elmas start in that position. Now, Abdul Harawi converted the penalty. He sent Alex Meret the other way to get his first since his transfer from Sassuolo, so we were already behind only 7 minutes into this match. However, we remained calm, we took control of the match, we scored our goals, and we saw it through, so that was very encouraging. I know it's just Frosinone, but the first match of the season is always tricky, especially with the changes at the club, most notably with the change of coach. So the comeback was a very positive sign regarding the mentality of the club in the early stages of the season. Now, the first half was very shaky, I thought we were spread way too far apart, and that created some problems for us out of possession. Under Spalletti, we were very compact. We played with about 25 to 30 meters between the last defender and the first striker. That made it very difficult for the opponent to break the lines. It also made it easier for us to press and counter-press as a collective because everyone was closer to each other. And then, when we got the ball back, we were already positioned to play those quick triangles. When you're not compact... There's a lot more space on the pitch for the opponent to pass into, 
and we saw that from Frosinone. Jaime Baez had a fantastic chance around the half hour mark. Ricardo Marquita picked him out with a cross to the second post, but Baez hit the outside of the side netting on his volley. Perhaps against a stronger opponent, that ball ends up in the back of the goal. Fortunately, when Anguissa came on in the second half, we looked much more in control and secure at the back. Really the only chance that Frosinone had in that second half was the bias free kick that curled into the upright and stayed out. That chance actually started with a poor pass from Anguissa before Frosinone broke the other way with Harawi and Giuseppe Caso. Caso and Baez were really impressive in this match, but on their own, I don't think they'll be able to keep Frosinone up. I have Ichochari finishing dead last in the table. Now, they did sign Walid Kadira on loan from Napoli, and they're also in discussions about loaning Gianluca Gaetano, so who knows, maybe those signings will help them, but I still don't think that's enough to stay in the top flight. I tweeted this out, but if we had Kim... I don't think Frosinone even get that free kick, implying that Kim would have chased them down and that we need to get Nathan up to speed as soon as possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Juan Jesus has been a reliable soldier for us and I think he gets way more hate than he deserves. People only seem to remember the odd occasion that he makes a mistake. But if we're going to play direct and open, we will be more susceptible to the counterattack and Jesus simply does not have the pace for that kind of game. Now, part of the reason why we were stretched is because Garcia's approach is much more vertical and much more direct. That's also why, against a newly promoted club no less, we only managed 55% possession and fewer touches than we averaged under Spalletti. When you play direct and when you play long, you're bound to concede possession more easily. Under Spalletti, we were much more fluid, we built up slowly and patiently, which meant a lot more passes, many of which were horizontal. Garcia's approach is almost the opposite of that. He wants to attack right away and catch his opponents before they settle themselves defensively. As a result, our football is now less fluid and therefore less visually appealing. Now, that does not mean that we're worse with Garcia. What it means is that we're using a different approach, and as we saw, there are multiple different ways to win. I think all three of our goals, four if you include Raspadori's goal that was disallowed, were really good demonstrations of Garcia's style of play in action. So let's close part one with a review of each of those goals, and as we go through them, I will highlight some of the top individual performances. Matteo Politano scored the equalizer in the 24th minute. This goal demonstrated our new focus on the counterattack and the involvement of our wingers. Amir Rachmani made a great tackle around midfield and we immediately broke on the counterattack. Jack Raspadori tried to squeeze the ball through for Osiman, but his pass was intercepted. Piotr Zelinski followed up on the play but his shot was blocked by Jelly. And then Politano followed up on the follow-up and he beat Turati on the volley. The ball appeared to pop up on Turati just before it got to him because the pitch at the Benito Stirpe was really really poor. But Turati probably should have done better regardless. Now, I saw some people online criticizing Raspadori's play, but I thought he had a pretty good match. It's clear to me that Garcia asked both of his wingers to drift inward and play down the middle. We saw Raspadori and Politano in the middle of the park on this goal and on many other occasions throughout the match. I think the logic is you overload the middle of the park and that gives you a numerical advantage. I think we're going to see even more of that from Cavada when he returns to the lineup which should be next round against Sassuolo. The only thing I would have liked to see more of from Raspadori 
with shots from distance. Obviously, it worked out on this goal, but I think he forced that pass to Osiman when a shot from outside of the area might have actually been the better option there. Victor Osiman gave us the lead in the 42nd minute. This was another example of that quick attack, but it also showed the quality of two individuals, Giovanni Di Lorenzo and Osiman himself. In his pre-match press conference, Garcia said he has no doubts who his captain is, and you could see why. This goal was reminiscent of our play towards the latter stages of last season, when we were very close to securing the title, but it wasn't mathematically guaranteed yet. It was Di Lorenzo who carried the team, picking up the slack in attack, when others, like Cavada, were struggling a little bit. On this play, he intercepted the long ball from Turati and immediately made the run down the line, Credit to Politano for playing the quick return pass. Politano was another player people criticized, and I don't really understand why. I think he was one of our best players in this match. With Lozano apparently out of the squad, the right wing belongs to Politano. Now that may change if Lozano accepts a move elsewhere, because then we can go after someone like Johan Bakayoko or Jesper Lindstrom. But until that whole situation is resolved, Politano is the starting right winger. He'll also want to impress Spalletti, who of course is now in charge of the national team. So Politano played the ball down the line for Di Lorenzo, and our Capitano simply outmuscled Luca Mazzitelli to win the ball before playing a perfect cutback to Osimen at the edge of the area. Osimen's finish was absolutely world class. As Nima Tavalli-Ruzzeri correctly pointed out on the Italian Football Podcast, this goal was all about the timing from Osimen. If you haven't played the game, you might think what Victor did there is not that difficult for a professional footballer, but it really is. To hit the ball like Victor did there, to generate that kind of power and keep the ball down and hit the target, his body position needed to be perfect, and the level of difficulty is even higher when you consider the angle that he shot from and that he hit the ball first time. He also did that having had very little service up until that point, that is a sign of a truly world-class striker. A lot of strikers get frustrated when they don't have good service, and that throws off their game when they finally do get a chance. Victor had one chance, and he smacked the ball into the back of the goal. The only other meaningful touch I can recall from him in the first half was his assist on Raspadori's disallowed goal, where he took the ball down with his foot nearly above the crossbar. Now, personally, I don't think he was trying to pass the ball there. I think he was just trying to make contact, and if anything, he probably should have left that ball to Oliveira, who was better positioned at the back post, but it did show just how insanely athletic Osimen is. Of course, Osimen scored his second of the match in the 79th minute. Judging by his muted celebration, I thought for sure Osimen was offside on this play. Maybe he thought so too. At the very least, he must have been surprised that he was so open on the play, but it was because he timed his run to perfection. Turati did not stand a chance on that shot. This goal was a bit of a mix between Spalletti's Napoli and Garcia's. It started out with about 12 horizontal passes at the back, then out of nowhere Rachmani went vertical to Di Lorenzo. He played a ridiculous one-touch flick to Osimhen, which was another vertical pass, and just like that, Osiman was in the clear to score his second goal. After the match, Garcia said that he was not happy with the way Osiman defended in the first half, which some people, like Matteo Bonetti, took out of context. 
Garcia had plenty of compliments for Osimhen as well. He said he liked him offensively, but not so much defensively because he's seen Osimhen press a lot better than that in the past. He said Osimhen corrected that in the second half, and he added that he left Osimhen on for a while to get that second goal, even though he didn't have 90 minutes in his legs. He said Victor's a fierce competitor who is always capable of scoring. The last thing I'll say about this match is that Piotr Zielinski was absolutely incredible for us. With all the rumors of a potential departure, he seemed determined to prove that he is still a player that we should all want to stay in. That in fact, even if we got someone like Gabri Vega, Zielinski should remain the starter and Vega should be his understudy. I think for many of us, myself included, it's hard to pass up 30 to 35 million euros for a player in the final year of his contract, especially when you're linked to a replacement like Gabri Vega. That said, when Zielinski is on, he is one of the best attacking midfielders in the world, and you can always tell very early in a match if he is on. If you see him make one of those sharp turns or clever dummies, you know that he is in the mood and he is going to have a good game. He also attempted a few shots from distance. That's another feature of Garcia's game. He wants his players to take the shot if they have it. I haven't confirmed the numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if we attempted more shots from distance in this match than we did in any other match from last season. In the end, all that matters is we got the victory, so this was a great way for us to start the 2023-2024 campaign. Okay, that will do for part one. In part two, we'll take a look at what happened elsewhere in the league in the opening round of Serie A. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash pod. I run the Patreon account a little bit differently than most podcasts do. Most podcasters will give you exclusive content for signing up. I do not do that. The content remains entirely free to all listeners. For me, it's just a way to support the show. As you can imagine, it takes a ton of time and effort to produce the show on a regular basis, in addition to written content at ForzaNapoliPress.com. But look, times are really tough. Cost of living just keeps going up. Inflation is through the roof. So I get it if you can't contribute towards the show. You can still support the show by giving us a rating or leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform. That is completely free to do. It only takes a few minutes, but it does help us to spread the word about the show. And thank you so much to all of you who have already signed up to the Patreon or who have left us a rating or a review. It is very much appreciated. Okay, so I wanted to use part two to give you my thoughts on the other matches involving the top teams in the league from the first round. If you've listened to the show for a while, you'll know that at one point I would do this every week, which was a lot of fun, but also just way too much work. 
I won't be bringing that segment back, but since the Primavera and Feminila haven't started yet, I do have a little bit of extra time to do it on this episode. Also, there's been a lot of commentary around the first round about who might be the best team in the league and who might challenge for the Scudetto. Let me say up front that one round of matches is way too small of a sample size to make any meaningful conclusions about how this season will go. The transfer market doesn't even close for another week, and many clubs are still linked to a number of players. Even the players that have already been signed are still being integrated into their new teams. You'll see that the teams that were fielded in the first round will probably be very different than the teams that will be fielded, say, in the 10th or 11th round or so on. Realistically, I don't think we'll have a real sense of who the Scudetto contenders will be until sometime after the September international break. That said, I think we got an early indication of who those Scudetto contenders might be from the first round, so let me give you my thoughts on all of that. I'll start with Inted, who also played on Saturday. I already had Inted as one of the biggest challengers to Napoli, and I think they confirmed that with their 2-0 victory over Monza. We saw a little bit of everything from Inted in this match. Lautaro Martinez scored two goals in his first match as club captain. We know he's going to have to carry most of the goal-scoring burden with Lukaku and Jacko both gone. Both goals were pure striker goals. Only true strikers know how to make those runs and have the quality to score first time from those awkward angles. Dumfries picked up the assist on the goal, but it was the pass by Barella, the pass before the pass, that was really something else. Barella couldn't seem to hit the target, but even when his shots are off, he still offers so much. We talked about Garcia gambling a little bit by starting Cayusta. I thought Inzaghi was fairly conservative with his squad selection, which was probably because Monza were a very good team last season. Mind you, Monza have definitely weakened with some of their departures, most notably Carlos Augusto, who is now an Inter player. Other than Jan Sommer, the only change Inzaghi made to his normal starters was to play Marcus Turam up top alongside Lautaro Martinez, and I thought Turam was very good in this match. Again, it's only one match, but he looks like a suitable replacement for either Jekyll or Lukaku in terms of the role that Inzaghi wants him to play, a guy who can hold up the play and drop deeper to win the ball back or become a playmaker. We saw many other new faces come off the bench in the second half. Juan Cuadrado, Marco Arnautovic, Carlos Augusto, Davide Fratesi, and Jan Bisek all featured in the match. Arnautovic made a lovely play to assist Lautaro on his second goal. That was a nice way for Arnautovic to cap his return to Inted. That goal basically put the match away. It was a little bit tense up until that point. It's always a little bit tense when you only have a one-goal lead. I felt the same way until Napoli scored their third now we could see one more new face with the Nerazzurri come the end of August. Inter have been closely linked to Benjamin Pavar, who is looking to get out of Bayern Munich. I have mixed feelings about this transfer. I wouldn't be shocked if he became an important player in Inzaghi's back three, but 30 to 35 million euros seems like a really hefty price tag, and that increases the risk in the chance that he does not work out. Another team vying for that second star is Intercity rivals Milan, who played on Monday. Stefano Pioli took a slightly different approach using three of his new purchases from the first minute. Mind you, there has been so much change at Milan that he probably had to start a few new players. In the end, it paid off. In fact, two of the three newbies 
were the stars of the match. Captain America Christian Pulisic scored a screamer of a goal to double Milan's lead just before the midway point of the first half. He also played a lovely switch to Tijani Reinders on the opening goal. He assisted Olivier Giroud. I actually think Reinders is going to be the standout player out of all of Milan's new signings. According to Paolo, he was the first player since they started tracking these stats in the early 2000s to have a 100% pass completion rate in his debut. And that stat is even more impressive when you consider that he's a box-to-box midfielder, so he's not just playing short passes back to his center backs. Of the three new boys to start, Ruben Loftus-Cheek was probably the least impressive. He wasn't poor, he just didn't stand out as much as the other two. Olivier Giroud was also very good. He scored the first and assisted the second. The big question, I think, with Giroud is whether he can last a full season. Milan were far too dependent on the 36-year-old last season, and he faded as the season wore on. I think Milan really gambled on Ibrahimovic recovering from his injuries, and that never happened. Now they have Noah Okafor, who made a brief appearance off the bench, but he didn't do a whole lot with Milan defending the lead, so we'll see if he can allow Giroud the occasional rest. Milan is definitely one of the teams I need to see more of before drawing any conclusions about them. I really wasn't entirely convinced from this performance. They beat a Bologna team who basically had no firepower in that lineup. Arnautovic went to Inted and hasn't been replaced. Musa Barrow wasn't available, and Ricardo Orsolini started the match on the bench. Orsolini came on at the break, and Bologna looked far more threatening in the second half. I like Joshua Zerxi, but he seems to be more like a second striker than the go-to guy. And yet, according to FB Ref, Bologna still finished the match with a higher XG than Milan. Charlampos Likoyanis rocked the bar in the first minute of the match, and Bologna had a handful of other really good chances. The problem for them was those chances fell to guys like Lewis Ferguson and Mikhail Abisher, who are good players, but they certainly are not lethal finishers. I thought Milan shut it down a little bit too early in this match. They basically backed off at the start of the second half, and that allowed Bologna to push forward, and that's probably why Bologna finished the match with a higher XG. I thought Rafael Leja was fairly quiet in this match as well. I recently had a debate with a Milanista friend of mine about who is better, Cavada or Leao, and what I said to him was, when Leao is on, he's probably the best winger in the world, right up there with Vinicius Jr. The problem is that he's not always on. He's a little bit streaky. As we saw last season, there are times where he just doesn't seem to give a shit. And don't forget... Leao was really disappointed with the sacking of Maldini. He signed his contract extension only days before Maldini was sacked, and I honestly don't think he would have extended his contract had he known that Maldini was going to get the axe. I think this story has been a little bit lost in the media because of all the hype around Milan's Mercato, but that is something I am definitely going to keep an eye on how Rafael Leao plays this season. Another team who won their match in the first half and then downshifted in the second half was Juventus. I hate to say it, but Juve looked really, really good in that first half. I have a few Juventino friends, and one thing I pointed out to them that I saw in the preseason was that Juventus were pressing really high and very aggressively. Yes, I did watch a couple of Juve's preseason matches because they were playing in my home continent of North America, and frankly... Those matches were far more accessible than Napoli's preseason matches. Now, I've already talked about that, so I won't belabor the point, 
but we saw the same aggressive high press from Juventus against Udinese, and I think it paid off. Most reputable pundits are crediting that to new assistant coach Francesco Magnanelli, who previously worked under Roberto De Zerbi. Both Federico Chiesa and Dusan Vlahovic talked about that after the match. Chiesa was excellent in the first half. I do not think we've seen him play like that since prior to his knee injuries. You could say Juve were a bit fortunate on the first goal, but it's that press that forces mistakes like the one that created that opportunity. Likewise, you could say that Juve were fortunate to get the penalty kick, but I don't think it really made a difference. Udinese were really poor, and if I'm being completely objective, I actually think that was the correct decision. It was unfortunate for Udinese because Festi had no idea that that ball was going to hit his hand. He was spinning to block the cross, and when you spin, your arms naturally swing away from your body. He was trying to keep his arms behind his body, but the rule is, if your arm is away from your body and makes you unnaturally bigger then it's a handball. There was one angle that was perfectly in line with Festi, and you clearly see his arm away from his body when the ball makes contact, so that, in my opinion, is a penalty kick, regardless of whether Juve got away with the exact same thing last season. Adrian Rabiot scored the third goal, so he's continued his strong form since last season. He was assisted by Andrea Cambiazzo. For me, Cambiazzo was the big revelation in this match. I thought he was fantastic as well. He spent last season on loan at Bologna, but he is definitely going to be staying at Juventus this season, especially after that performance. With Juve not playing in Europe, you have to consider them amongst the contenders for the Scudetto as well, which is not good for everybody else. Atalanta left it late, but their victory over Sassuolo was well-deserved. Atalanta had two shots cleared off the line in the first half alone, and they hit the bar around the hour mark. This match was all about the new faces at Atalanta. Charles de Ketelaire came on at the start of the second half, replacing Duvan Zapata. That might have been Zapata's final match in an Atalanta shirt. I'll come back to his potential transfer in a moment. De Ketelaire nearly scored moments after coming on, but his header bounced over the goal. It was also De Ketelaire who hit the bar. Another new signing, Gianluca Scamacca, would have gotten the assist just seconds after he entered the match. That Scamacca acquisition is going to be really important for Atalanta, with Duvan potentially on his way out, and El Bilal Toure sadly out for months due to injury. The youngster tore his rectus femoris tendon in the friendly against Juventus, Google tells me that this tendon connects the quadricep muscle to the hip, and Toure will have surgery to repair it. Back to De Ketelaire, he eventually got his goal in the 83rd minute, and it just had to be him. He didn't score a single goal for Milan last season, and then of course he scores in his first match with Atalanta. After spending last season on loan at Sassuolo, Nadir Zortea scored a stunning goal in stoppage time, no one's talking about this goal, but for me, it's right up there with Kandreva's second against Roma. If you watch the replay from behind Zortea, you will see how that shot swerves around Consigli, hovering only a few feet above the ground. It's such a satisfying goal to watch. Michel Adopo made a lovely play and showed excellent vision to set that goal up. He was acquired from Torino in the summer, so all the new faces got in on the action. Meanwhile, Sassuolo really struggled to create anything in the attack. They missed Domenico Berardi dearly. He was kept out of the squad amidst rumors of a potential move to Juventus. 
The only Sassuolo player to create anything was Armand Lauriente. He was fantastic in this one. He was seemingly the only player going for a goal. He almost scored a wonder goal in the opening minute of the second half, but his shot from way out dipped into the bar and stayed out. Sassuolo could look very different when we play them next round. They brought in a whole bunch of their new young players in the second half, but I'll tell you more about them when we preview that match. Two of the top eight dropped points in the opening round and both happened to be from Rome, but even for them, I don't think we can draw too many conclusions from those results. The first was Roma on Sunday morning who drew Salernitana 2-2. This was a typical Roma performance. The XG for this match was Roma 1.9 to Salernitana 0.1 and yet they drew 2-2. Unfortunately for Romanisti, their club ran into Antonio Candreva who continues to deliver the goods at 36 years young. Both goals were gorgeous but that second was just a ridiculous finish. The first touch with his right boot to set up the shot was incredible as well. The big question for Roma heading into this season was who is going to score the goals with Tammy Abraham injured? Andrea Bellotti answered that question. He had an incredible match. He looked like the Bellotti that had so many great seasons at Torino. Even after having a goal disallowed, one that he took very well by the way, he still scored a brace and arguably deserved to have been awarded a penalty kick in the second half. As I mentioned earlier, according to the latest reports, Duvan Zapata is on the verge of joining Roma. Personally, I don't know what Zapata can really offer. He's really declined over the past few seasons. Whether he and Bellotti can produce in Tammy's absence remains to be seen. Maybe Bellotti can if he continues to play like he did in this match, but I don't think Zapata will produce all that much. It's also worth noting that Lorenzo Pellegrini, Paolo Dybala, and Jose Mourinho were all suspended for this match, so Roma were far from their best. Thus, I wouldn't take too much from this result. At the same time, for me, Roma are at best a long shot to win the Scudetto and probably don't finish in the top four. If any Laziali laughed at that result, then their laughter certainly didn't last very long. Later on Sunday, Lazio blew a 1-0 lead and lost 2-1 to Lecce. A healthy Ciro Immobile went back to doing what he does best, opening the scoring in the 26th minute. He probably should have scored in the second half, but Vladimiro Falcone made a brilliant kick save to keep the deficit at one goal. That was the turning point of the match for me. If that shot goes in, I think Lazio cruises to victory. Instead, Lecce equalized in the 85th minute, and then they took the lead in the 87th minute. But in truth, Lecce fully deserved their two goals and all three points. The first half was fairly even, but Lecce dominated the second half. Not surprisingly, Sadi only started one of his new signings, Daichi Kamada, and he only played him for 54 minutes. At the same time, Gustav Isaksen replaced Felipe Anderson, but he didn't make much of an impact. Neither did Luca Pellegrini for that matter. So it wasn't a great start for Lazio, but don't rule them out just yet. Lecce took points from a lot of top clubs last season, so they've picked up where they left off. Also, we know that once Sadi gets his teams clicking, they become very difficult to beat. It's probably a good thing that we play Lazio in the third round of the season and not later on when they found their rhythm. But I have Lazio in the same boat as Roma, outside shot at the title 
but more likely to be competing and finishing outside of the top four. Finally, Fiorentina destroyed Genoa 4-1. This was another game that was over by halftime. You could even say it was over by the 12th minute. Cristiano Biraghi and Giacomo Bonaventura continued the theme this round of players in their 30s scoring goals. Biraghi scored a beautiful goal 5 minutes into the match, and Bonaventura scored 5 minutes later. Bonaventura added a ridiculous assist on the 4th goal, which, like the Zortea goal, deserved a lot more attention than it got. Nico Gonzalez was fantastic once again. He is an absolute gem of a player. It was his shot that hit the upright on Bonaventura's goal, and he scored the third with a header moments before the break. Meanwhile, for Genoa, I think this match was a bit of a reality check, a reminder of the step-up in quality between Serie B and Serie A. I love Serie B, it's an extremely competitive league, but Serie A is an altogether different ballgame. For what it's worth, the XG for this match was only 1.0 to 0.24 Fiorentina, so in theory, if you replayed this match time and time again, the average scoreline would be a 1-0 Fiorentina victory, which is far more respectable than 4-1. Also, shout out to the Genoa fans. I listened to the podcast La Lanterna with my friend Fabrizio from Toronto and his co-host Matt, and in their last episode, they talked about season ticket sales. Genoa is something like fourth in the league in season tickets sold, which is really quite remarkable, and you could see it at the Ferraris. The stadium was absolutely jam-packed, and the fans cheered for the entire 90 minutes, despite the scoreline. So that is what happened in the first round. Hellas Verona beat Empoli 1-0 and Torino drew Cagliari 0-0 as well. The first round was very exciting. The second round should be fairly similar. Most of the big clubs have very winnable matches. Napoli probably have the most difficult opponent of the top 8 clubs. The league basically consists of 8 good teams and 12 bad teams. But a few of those bad teams can take points from the good teams on any given match day. Okay, that is where we will leave it. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisk at D5, and you can find the podcast on all the usual social media channels and podcast platforms at Fortinopoly Pod. I'm hoping to be back in a couple of days with a preview of that Sassuolo match on Sunday, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli sempre! Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.